Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 hi, 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 and welcome to another bonus episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and today I am very excited to bring you another instalment in our Paul McCartney film review side series. Normally in this side series we go through chronologically, uh, however, we're going to be going to take a look at some very major Wings content here and break that rule, as up until about a year ago, I and most probably most of you never knew this existed at all. Of course, our first film review also broke this rule, and rather fittingly, it was Wings Rock Show, which was their 1976 Wings Over America Tour concert film, and for the longest time, I thought that this was the first true time that Wings had been filmed extensively and been introduced to the world of cinema. But now, we actually have access to what is the lost early Wings era proper live concert film with the early lineup of the band. But with a twist. And by a twist, I mean there's a bunch of animated cartoon mice all over the place. Yeah. Of course, I could only be referring to one film. This is The Bruce McMouse Show. And when I go I do want to take a quick moment, though, to point out that this episode was brought to you today by you. It was by you, the listener. The film review that you are about to hear was paid for by this show's loyal Patreon supporters. Shout-outs to Matt Williams, Warren Buston, Cheryl McCoy, and Tony Vosile. And thank you to them for allowing this show to review some extra content for you all. Though you, you can probably tell that I was a little bit apprehensive about this film, as I didn't spend the full amount to buy the thing on iTunes. I simply just rented it. Still waiting for that hard copy release, though, Paul. Get on that. On that note, though, help keep the show ad-free, help keep the lights running, help fund episodes like this and more by supporting us on our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash McCartneyPod. Links down below. Again, if you like what we're doing here on the show, if you've ever felt like you wanted to buy me a coffee or a beer, check that out. Become a Patreon patron. 
check us out on Twitter, get in contact with us, which is at McCartneyPod. Drop us an email and, and say hi, hi, hi. Tell me your Paul McCartney story at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Make sure to find and follow us on Facebook and YouTube simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Check out our blog, paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com for some bonus content and some McCartney articles that I've written. There's some definite stuff there that I'd love to revisit, so go and check that out now whilst you still can. And finally, be sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you are using, whether it's iTunes, Podbean, Podomatic, whatever podcasting thing you are using. If you could give us a five-star review and maybe even a little comment, that would help boost us up immeasurably, um, so I'm told. But yeah, thank you for that. And now that that is out of the way, let's carry on with our film review. Though, like all of the credits in the McCartney filmography... There is an awful lot of setup required before I can even think about letting you actually know what I think about the Bruce McMouse show. And many of you must be sat there thinking, oh my god, why is he saying the Bruce McMouse show over and over and over? What is that? You know, what the fuck is the Bruce McMouse show, Sam? And what has it got to do with Paul McCartney? Well, dear listener, luckily for all of us, the Bruce McMouse Show was a concept for a unique concert film cooked up by Paul McCartney in the early 70s. The overall gist would be that the tour's concert footage would be intercut with a fun family of animated mice who lived beneath the stage that the band were performing on and interact with them in various ways throughout their performance. The main figure would of course be the titular Bruce McMouse himself, in a very Jim McCartney fashion, he would be an old show-tune impresario with a series of wacky, over-the-top family members. The son, Soily, a play on the Wings song title, would also be voiced by Paul himself. Then, during the concert, Bruce McMouse eventually becomes Wings' manager, and it's an all-load of good fun before the concert comes to a close and it's all triumphant, yada yada yada. Now, forget about the fact that I didn't even know that one Wings concert was filmed during the Wings Over Europe tour in 1972. The footage for this film was taken from a total of four filmed performances in the Netherlands and Germany in 72. Um, I have absolutely no idea what four gigs they are referring to. So if you do have an inkling of that, then please do drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I would love that correspondence. The band themselves never changed costumes during the songs themselves, which was a relief, but you can tell that you are changing gigs and countries by all the constantly rotating uh, costumes of the band members, as wacky as they are. Uh, I'm sure Henry McCulloch loved all of them. The story goes that Paul himself viewed this initial concert edit and realised that there was a great potential in all of the material captured. What is strange, though, and this is going into... Paul's ever-ending quest to do animation and incorporate animation into his work and do Rupert the Bear and be a bit of a Disney-type character himself, it turns out that apparently the Bruce McMouse idea and the family of mice and the sketching of the characters, at least, all comes prior to this, all prior to the European tour. And I can only imagine, again, Henry McCullough thinking, oh, I'm doing this great concert film, it's going to be really rocking and awesome with this set list we're doing and stuff. And then you find out that this whole time Paul's been doodling this little mouse family. Eric Wylam took Paul's sketches and created the final McMouse family designs that we see on screen. And the storyline was then crafted and used as this quote-unquote linking theme within the concert itself. Not sure if when you see the final product that, that you'll see that it, it, it links at all. 
I mean, if anything, it interrupts the footage. But you can see this as one of those possible Broad Street moments where Paul has just had a, a bit of inspiration. He's had an idea that he really loves and he wants to do something different and something unique. And he's taking a risk. And you yourself can be the judge, obviously, whether it paid off or not. But you can already see where ambition is going to be the fatal flaw of the hero in this narrative. Because first and foremost, Paul was not wrong here. There was, and hopefully to some degree still is, um, with all the four total filmed concerts which could all still be out there. A massive potential with the footage from the European tour. But Paul, don't try and fix what isn't broken. From what you can see in this film, folks, you instantly realise that, that the performances and, and editing and odd filmmaking choices and wonderful background imagery and the cinematography during all the performances would have been more than enough to carry a regular old concert film that would have done absolutely fine. And maybe if Paul had just strung the whole show together with some sort of non-animated, possibly even just a live-action element, even if he had to have anything at all, then maybe some version of this film would still have hit theatres and they would have been able to get something from this whole venture. I mean, a scrapped project like this could potentially sink a lesser band, but for a band led by Maka, it just gets buried under history for over 40 years. Now, the first question I had when this whole thing was announced was, why was this film even shelved in the first place? Well, my initial reaction was that it must have just been really, 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 really rubbish, and that McCartney wisely chose to not have the film be shown at all, rather than show a bad one. But I realised that at some point he must have seen a final cut of Give My Regards to Broad Street at some point, and he still released that. So you never know with Paul in terms of being his own quality barometer. Despite the fact that the cartoon mouse bits are objectively rubbish, and we'll get into that later, but the reason that McCartney's website gave was that production stretched lengthily from 1972 right the way through to 1977, and by that time, yeah, the film was complete, but the band's lineup had changed, the music scene had changed, and, you know, they presumably had also filmed Rock Show. So I guess it just makes sense that they just chucked it in the NPL archives. Now, this could be the best version of history that McCartney's presenting us here, but in all fairness, by 77, Wings were totally reinvented as an act, at least twice over now. And for them to release this post-Band on the Run, post-Venus and Mars, it, it would just confuse the brand. I do get the sense, though, that Paul probably bit off a little more than he could chew with the whole animation portion of this film. The actual production of hand-drawn, cell-by-cell animation, especially back then, if you were not either Disney or Hanna-Barbera, was an incredibly costly and time-consuming affair. You know, I'm sure Paul just thought of the idea and assumed the project would have been turned around relatively quickly in the same way that Yellow Submarine had been made all those years prior. However, Yellow Submarine had an incredible team behind it. And they worked themselves to the bone. They were stretched so thin. They had to have an army of volunteers to help complete that film. And none of that is present in this. Even after the five years of animation, there is barely a couple of minutes of animated footage in the final cut. Even then, some shots are reversed and reused, which means that it's just a whole load of effort for a crap result for no one, for no reason. It's not even like the animation can justify itself by being amazing or beautiful or interesting or even uh, so bad it's good. You know, it's just plain terrible. It's just moving and even sometimes barely moving 
doodles. It's played all for laughs with no sense of self-awareness, of tact, and it's just plain old boring. There's no life to it. You are just waiting for Paul to come back on screen. Though I will say in its defence, the brief, very, very brief scenes we have where Paul and the band interact with Bruce McMouse do have a certain amount of charm to them. And I could see where a potential for that idea might be more interesting, a kind of like a uh, reverse who framed Roger Rabbit, perhaps. But the purely animated stuff just needs to get out of here. Fortunately, as I mentioned, the concert footage itself is simply delightful and is going to be a must-see for all Hardcore Wings fans and potentially for a few newcomers also if it becomes more widely available in more readily accessible formats. I don't know about you, but it was going to be the footage of Wings in this fascinating period that was going to sell me on this release and did sell me on this release. However, the one thing that did worry me was that it was going to be, you know, this uh, proto-Rupert the Bear frog song thing, uh, you know, all over again. And there was a brief moment after the intro segments with all the animated stuff. And I was a little, I was a little, a little apprehensive, like, oh God, this is it. Or, or you, you know, what if this is going to be the majority of the film? Because if so, then this is going to be awful. Then, after a few numbers, you swiftly realise that the animated segments are in fact going to comprise barely 10% of this total runtime, and even half of that is just going to be set against audio from the concert. So do not worry, folks. If the cartoons were going to be holding you back, then let me reassure you now that they're going to be barely noticeable when compared to the absolutely captivating footage of Paul, Linda, Denny, Denny and Henry in this period. Like, I'm going to get into the specifics of the individual performances shortly, but let me state for the record now that when I say that in terms of the ability to see the 1972 gang and a show like this, when early wings up until now were so elusive and mysterious, you know, this opportunity is just just so exciting. I mean, I haven't been able to access the Wings uh, Live 1972-73, I think it is, disc that comes when you buy the huge early Wings box set. So being able to have access to this, that's, you know, something that's not just a bootleg on YouTube, like Live Over Groningen or something like that, for such a Wings nerd like me, is just such a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, I know a lot of this adulation from myself may be a combination of the fact that I've recently done an episode where I did cover Wings over Groningen, you know, and the fact that I'm really into early Wings in general at the moment, and maybe that my expectations were notably low going in. But I was genuinely surprised by how solid a product the whole thing felt. There's a bit of cheese here and there, and I certainly would not recommend this to a non-Wings diehard over, say, Wingspan or Rock Show. Nevertheless, this is a very revitalising bit of Early Wings media that not only proves that they did in fact kick ass live, but that they could have potentially not been this big dirty secret. Like, if they had put this out, maybe without the animation, because it is a very professional, non-shambolic product, then maybe people would have known that Wings were this different entity, and maybe they would have had a bit more street cred, but then do they have the fractures within the band and does band on the run happen the way it does you know who who knows how that how the how these things go 
But yeah, Bruce McMouse was eventually shelved, no matter how solid I think it is as a, a little piece of history now. Of course, if it had been released back in the day, of course, it would have bombed massively. It, it wasn't a, an accurate representation of Wings at that time at all. So much had changed within the band at that time. And, and even not only the sound of other artists, but their own sound as well. I mean, to put it into context, that'd be like the Beatles releasing A Hard Day's Night around the time of the White Album. So, yeah, yeah, you could see how an audience would definitely be confused by that, and that would just lead to poor, poor sales. Um, not too sure where I got this next bit of info, but I have heard stories that the Bruce McMahon show was not always going to be this little one-off thing for Wings, and that Paul supposedly at one point had a much grander vision for the old Bruce McMouse show and that the premise is that Wings would just be the first episode of a rotating series of acts that would come on to the fictional Bruce McMouse show I assume with the various acts voicing the mice in a kind of rotational fashion. I'm not sure if this means that this was going to be pitched as a series of films that would all be shown in cinemas, you know, maybe a way like United Artists where a bunch of bands come together and, you know, create 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 their own media together. That that could have been interesting or maybe Bruce McMouse could have been optioned as a TV show. Who knows? And if this piece of spurious media trivia is true, then perhaps that is uh, possibly one of the factors that led to the production being so lengthy as well. Maybe the, the whole thing had to be restructured several times, who knows. In terms of staff, the film was directed by Barry Chattington, who had gone to film the mini-documentary for Paul and Wing's Rockestra theme several years later. I, have, I haven't been able to find this, but perhaps he was involved in the Back to the Egg TV special as well. The film was produced by Roger Cheryl, who wound up in the sound department for Full Metal Jacket later on, oddly enough. The voiceovers for the animated mice uh, took place at the end of 1973, recorded by Paul and Linda McCartney. Derek Geiler, the police inspector from A Hard Day's Night. Pat Coons from Dad's Army, On the Buses and the Carry On series. And Derek Nimmo, who was in the original 60s Casino Royale, as well as having an uncredited cameo in A Hard Day's Night also, when people lament the fact that the Beatles' real voices were not used for Yellow Submarine, they only need to watch the animated concerts from this film, because uh, in the role of Soily, Bruce McMouse's son, we are treated to Paul's silly, hyperactive, sped-up voice that is unbelievably annoying the first time you hear it, and the last time you hear it, it's just cringe-inducing. But again, rambunctious rodents aside, I think that you get that I altogether am very happy with the final product of the Bruce McMahon show. I would fully recommend that you go out and buy it. Um, not, I'm not sure how you're going to buy it. You can only stream it and download it through iTunes and stuff like that. And on Paul's site, there is still no DVD or Blu-ray release. I have no idea why. It's just like for my Tom Waits podcast. Tom Waits' first live concert film, Big Time, is not on DVD. It's not on Blu-ray. No one knows why. It's really stupid. But if you can access Bruce McMouse, if you can get it online, or if you bought, maybe you aren't one of the people out there who bought the huge early Wings box set, then maybe you are one of the rare people who do have it on a disc, so good for you. But if you haven't seen it, if you don't want any specific spoilers as to the set list and the details of the show itself, you can, of course, skip more towards the end right now, folks. If not, I'm just going to do a quick rundown now of all the songs used in the film and my thoughts on them. Um, so you'll be getting a little bonus gig review of sorts here, I suppose. 
The movie opens with Paul and the gang dressed in the most wonderfully flamboyant 70s garb ever seen uh, uh, with them in their dressing room. Paul is in full mullet. He's got these bright blue dungarees on that are possibly the most wanted item on my Christmas wish list now. And the camera is kind of fixated on Paul's face, like all Wings Media is, and it kind of follows him through his dressing room. And he kind of just sits down, you know, all casually, and he begins to regale us the story of mice from a previous gig in their history. And he, he literally just ends it with, so yeah, there were these mice. And he just trails off before cutting to the titular McMouse homestead underneath the sage where the band are going to perform. And then the son, Soily, voiced by Paul... Uh, is going quite mad because the wings are here, which is a phrase that I've never heard before of or since, like the band being referred to as the wings. I'm, I'm not sure if it's a joke within the film or if it's something that they were they were trying to get going, like the stupid uh, wings hand symbol, like bird thing as well. Who knows? And then there's this wonderful little setting up of the stage sequence done with like, you know, sped up footage of, you know, just literally the stage being put together for the show. And it's set to an instrumental, almost elevator music version of Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey from Ram. So, of course, they are appealing to me already at the start of this film by chucking in a little bit of Ram. Now, the film opens with Big Barn Bed, and it is with this song specifically that I wish I'd simply gone ahead and brought the bloody film as opposed to renting it, because I need to frame by frame this particular number to understand how they got it in the film in the first place. The inclusion of this Red Rose Speedway opening number, despite never being played on the Wings Over Europe tour, confuses and confounds me. If it was never played during these four shows, then how is it in this film? Well, the first smoking gun is that they immediately cut to what is clearly the studio mix of this song. And depending on what time the film was actually planned to be initially released, I'm not sure whether audiences would have spotted that either. But its inclusion here strongly suggests that they're just whacking it on the front to kind of kick it off with a bang, like the recent Wings Over Europe vinyl, which features the exact same anachronism in its set listing. So how did they do it? Was it simply camera trickery? Did they hire an audience? Is there even an audience in any of the shots? You know, do we actually see an audience in frame? I cannot remember. It was clearly filmed during the other pickup segments and the shots used for the animation parts. But, you know, who knows? Maybe there's a lost bootleg where they did do Big Barn Bed on the Wings Over Europe tour. Uh, but I, I'm not going to hold my breath for that kind of blip in the archives, as it were. Again, it was at this point where I was a little apprehensive about this film at all. And making the opening of your film remind me of the intro for the then-upcoming James Paul McCartney TV special was never going to be a good thing. Then there's Eat at Home from the Ram album. Of course, you'll have just heard me discuss this song to some degree on our recent Listen With Sam Ram episode. Go and check that out if you haven't already. And whilst the studio version of this track still reigns supreme, because it's Ram, I was still oh so thankful that they did indeed switch to the live audio track for this song, as well as the rest of the show. And what a song to quote-unquote start with. I do imagine that, that this was the actual opener for the pre-Big Barn Bed run of the show, as it does have that everybody welcome kind of energy to it. And moving it into second place actually does admittedly keep the momentum of the opening bang running along nicely. 
and establishing firmly that Wings are a rock act first and foremost. And this is, is something that's going to crop up time and time again in the Bruce McMouse performances in that this may very well be the best single live recording of this song that exists out there. You know, you have to see this film just for these performances alone, folks. And in stark contrast to Eat at Home, we move on to a song that is wholly better than its album version counterpart in every single way, with Bip Bop from the Wildlife album. See episodes pass him for why I feel that way. As with Rock Show, the benefit of Paul recording the film at the end of the tour means the band are on top form when the cameras come to start rolling, and my god have they ever ironed out the kinks from this song in particular. I can only imagine how people's perception of wildlife and this whole era of wings because of these performances may have completely changed and been completely recontextualised, both visually and audibly. And I never thought that I'd say that a performance of Bitbop on the big screen would be a sight to behold, but my god it is. Four songs in and we're still on with The Rockers with The Mess from the Red Rose Speedway sessions and would end up as the B-side of the Live and Let Die single. This is a song that I've really come to respect as I've done more and more research into Early Wings, and the band really give it their all for this particular performance, and had the film been out within a year like any project should, this number would have benefited from the buzz generated from being a B-side to said Bond single. But yeah, four songs in, and we're still rocking, which is not an image we would associate with this band at all, and it's so cool to finally see and hear all of this in action in an official product that's not some cheap, poor quality bootleg. This is top quality stuff and we get to just absorb how awesome Wings were in this period. Next up, and we have a song that is normally reserved for much later in the set list, if my memory recalls, with Wildlife, the title track from, you guessed it, Wildlife. This is the first song in this film that showcases something that I was wholly unaware of in that it shows Wings performing in front of audiences with a live projection behind them. Now, I'm more than aware that Paul does this in his modern live shows. I saw it for myself on giant HD screens. But to see it here with Wings in 72 is absolutely incredible and it feels much more contemporary than I would have expected as a result. Especially in the editing that cuts to the raw footage that the band are projecting behind them and the way it intercuts them between them playing. It's all very exciting. Um, it features this fantastic collection of stock footage featuring the contrast and clash between animals and humans in their respective environments. Not sure how much of it was shown live at how many gigs, but here it really is a captivating sight. And that's even without getting into the performance, which whilst isn't my number one favourite performance of Wildlife from the Wings Over Europe tour, it is certainly my favourite recording of this type of rendition of this track, because it, you know, it, it's in HD, it's in surround sound, it's, it's, it's probably been recorded. And hearing that extended whoa, 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 fade out coda that I loved so much from my Wings Over Groningen episode was such a treat for me and a real highlight. It was worth the entire cost of the rental. Borderline. Then the band moves on to Henry McCullough's favourite tune of all time and was one of the main singles that the Wings Over Europe tour was promoting in the first place with the Wings non-album single Mary Had a Little Lamb. 
This features an extended run of footage in the background projected that was actually used for the Heart of the Country music video, namely the part where Paul and Linda are riding on horseback in a field and there just so happens to be some sheep and presumably therefore some lambs nearby. For McCartney purists, it might be a little bit annoying and jarring in the way that seeing the footage for something appearing in the Here Comes the Sun music video that was released just recently, it was a little distracting. It's a fine performance of the song though, even though you know Henry's cringing during the entirety of it. Then we come on to a song that I never actually thought would have made it into this film's redacted setlist at all, but its potential release in American territories probably explains all of that away. Yes folks, we're getting into some of the cold cuts in this film with Blue Moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Again, this is another one of those songs that I've grown to like more and more in recent days, and this Bruce McMouse performance is the best I have ever seen or heard, hands down. Compared to things like 20 Flight Rock in the 79 tour, this just oozes loads and loads of energy and pizzazz, even if it is a little bit dorky. Like, there's a stage light that darts across the, the set in the shape of a literal blue moon, and it's this just top quality Paul McCartney dork shit. Like, it's so nice to see the band almost enjoying playing McCartney's lame kind of granny tunes. And on that note, it's actually probably the, one of the only parts of the entire film where Denny Lane on harmonica actually gets a little standout moment. Because as we're going to find out by the end of this episode, he's not going to have a lead vocal performance at all. Then, boom, we have another song that is born to appeal to soppy old sods like me, with the heartfelt Paul and Linda duet, I Am Your Singer, again from the Wildlife album. Now, we all know the song starts with Paul's vocal that, if anything, guides Linda into the track. And there's this really touching, really sweet shot of Linda trying oh so hard not to smile when the crowd genuinely starts hooting, hollering and cheering when she starts singing her own first vocal section. Yeah, I can't believe this track wasn't cut from the setlist. And of course, I was going to be lenient on any content that featured this song. But come on, it's just so fucking cute that this song has now been immortalised in film. The wildlife re-evaluation is imminent, folks, and I am blown away by how many wildlife tracks are in this film. Pressing on, and we have another song that I never expected to see in a potential feature film release, and that is the vocal solo spot for Linda McCartney. Yes, folks, she's on her own here with Seaside Woman from the Red Rose Speedway Sessions that was eventually released under the moniker Susie and the Red Stripes. Now, I want to talk about how the performance features all of this really fun, albeit random stock footage of life on the Caribbean islands, and how Linda looks surprisingly comfortable playing this on stage, and I can't, because I am distracted by how clearly this isn't the live performance. This is the second and only other song in the film to feature the studio mix of the song instead of the live cut. Though, let's not beat about the bush here folks, this is not going to be for the same reasons as Big Barn Bed. This wasn't due to some rush or desire to get a particular song in the movie that hadn't been recorded. No, I am more than comfortable in assuming that there were four recordings of Linda doing Seaside Woman and none of them were anywhere near as good as the vocal on the single. So they just went with that instead. Ouch. 
Then we have a little scene where Bruce McMouse does, in fact, interact with the actual band rather than just simply cutting to his reactions. And, like I said, this is the high point of the animation for me, simply because it actually involves Wings and Paul, the thing that I actually came to see. Like, we get to see the band all looking down on him, i.e. the camera, which is some fun trickery, and then Paul picks him up in his hand, and all members of the band get a line or two here. For Wings nerds, it's primo stuff, and I wish they had thought of a way to have Bruce and the band interact throughout the whole film, rather than just for this two-minute segment. Then there's this part where all these mice begin to fill up the auditorium to see the Wings after Bruce McMouse becomes their manager, and it's all set to another bout of an instrumental version of Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey, which is all very well and good. Then, as Paul tells the titular Bruce McMouse, the next song in the show is My Love, and when you watch this track you can't help but wish that Paul had just scrapped the animated bollocks, because this is the one song where the animation is just too much, folks. Whilst this track, if the film had come out again a year later, would have been a great sneak preview as what was going to be their next number one single, there are these obvious violin overdubs that are added in post for the song that McCartney would not have been able to recreate live, on that tour at least. And it's meant to be justified in the narrative in that they cut to an accompaniment of orchestral mice playing all of their instruments and that the mice are doing that music to help out with the song. And it's kind of a cute idea that could have been interesting if they'd, again, implemented it more, but they don't, so it stands out and it feels a little forced. Which overall does get in the way of my enjoyment of a song that, even in the best conditions, I can struggle to like. As with the rest of the Wings Over Europe tour, though, the song is performed before Henry McCullough finalised the now iconic solo for this song, so we are treated to another wonderfully unique and exploratory what-if version of the solo. Not sure how Paul would have felt once the final solo would have been put to vinyl and whether he would have altered it in the final mix of this song, but I'm glad they left it in like this. Moving on to the final trio of tracks with Maybe I'm Amazed from the McCartney McCartney 1 album. Now, I still don't know who thought it was a good idea to have My Love lead into Maybe I'm Amazed, as it does overload the back end of the gig with ballads somewhat. Fortunately, Wings nail each track so well that it really doesn't feel as overbearing as it could be, and you do admittedly have the little interlude with Bruce McMouse himself in between them to somewhat break it up. And getting to hear Henry do the iconic solo for this song is always a treat. Since this, by all rights, should have come out in around 73-74, this song would be another interesting what-if, whereby maybe the wider fan base and general public would have been introduced to the seminal McCartney number a solid four years before Macca would release it again on Wings Over America. Speaking of Wings Over America, we have the same penultimate track in High High High, Wings' single from November 1972. This version has the same extended live intro that we would become familiar with again on Wings Over America and a pretty unique outro that I had never heard before that is rather interesting. It's early Wings doing high 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 though so what more can you really say? Though there was this one brief shot that was smuggled in amongst the assortment of clips playing in the edit and on the projector behind them and it was of someone blowing out a huge puff of smoke into the camera which I assume is by no means unintentional. I mean, the fact that Bruce McMouse was conceived in the Red Rose kind of era does point to it being one of his 
crazier stoner haze based ideas. And finally, we end on the song that really should end every early post-Beatle Paul McCartney gig, and that is a cover of Little Richard's Long Tall Sally. It's a great way to finish the show with a bang. You know, we've had two rockers to get us back in again in the spirit. It would have been 1973 here, folks, so being able to see Paul do a song that he did with the Beatles up on the big screen with loads of smoke, loads of glitter and loads of balloons that are completely enveloping the stage would have just been a phenomenal sight to see. And it... Of course, it ends it on a on an unbelievable high. But yeah, that was the, the set list for the Bruce McMahon show. Unfortunately, there were still a few songs that never made it into the Bruce McMahon show film that were left off from the tour. We had no smile away. Denny didn't get to do "I Would Only Smile" or "Say You Don't Mind." We didn't get Paul's fantastic 1882. There was no "Give Ireland Back to the Irish" or "Best Friend." or Henry's Blues, and despite there being a fucking character voiced by Paul fucking McCartney called Soily, they do not, for some reason, play Soily either. Not sure if there were any songs from this setlist that I would take off exactly. I guess my only complaint would be I would like this film just to be longer. I know it would probably upset the film-to-animation ratio, uh, you know, if only this film was made today, you know, then there would be deleted scenes and bonus scenes and all of that stuff, and we'd get to see the whole set list on some sort of bonus disc, but alas, this is all we get to see, so yeah, my, my only complaint would be that I want more of it. Maybe it exists somewhere, who knows? But yeah, no need for much of a summary or plenary. I hope that by now you know that despite some initial apprehensions and a slightly clunky beginning, my overall feelings towards The Bruce McMahon Show are overwhelmingly positive. Again, not too sure if this is exclusively for the Wings and McCartney diehards only, but from my perspective as a Wings dork and as a fan of McCartney's lamer concepts in action, this film delivered on all fronts. Not only is it exactly what you expected, but it's better. So if you're listening to this show right now, folks, I just want to say go out there, buy it, check it out. It's really cool. Of course, if you do go and check out Bruce McMouse, or if you have already, please drop me in an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Let me know your Paul McCartney stories. As always, check out our Twitter, which is at McCartneypod. Check out the blog, which is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Find us on Facebook and YouTube, simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Leave us a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform you are using. And of course, if you want to help the show grow, if you want to help support the show, or even just give me a drink... Check out our Patreon links down below. Become a patron and help support the show. Thank you so much for listening to my review of Bruce McMouse, folks. That was really fun. I'm so glad that this episode was a success, really. I was I was so worried that, that this was going to be something so awful. I mean, I, obviously, I, I understand why they pulled it from release and why it wasn't put out there. But as a nostalgic little time capsule, this was such a wonderful purchase for me. And of course, I just want to thank you, my patrons out there. You folks now know who you are. I've given you a shout out on on a recent episode. Through your funds, this episode was made possible, as will be a future review of Hey Grand Dude. I've just used some of the Patreon funds to go and purchase that as well. Really looking forward to reviewing that as well. But yeah, you guys are the lifeblood of the show. You are helping maintain the show on the steady course that we are on. We're putting out more content than ever. Thank you so much for that. Next week, everyone, I believe it will be our review of Lisa the Vegetarian that I did with my good friend Tom Kui a couple of weeks ago in my house, which was a real joy. We actually got to watch the episode together. 
And then after that, I'll be doing an episode with Tom Hunyadi where we do our own Beatles 1981 Beatles set list. That was a really cool episode, actually. I cannot wait to show you that one either. And then I think after that, we're probably going to get on around to Press to Play because I really want to show you guys the chat I had with Ken Michaels about that album. Thank you so much for listening, folks. I'm sure Denny Lane has already been playing us out for quite some time by now. Keep listening to Paul. Keep listening to the show. Show the podcast to another Paul McCartney fan. If you know someone out there who might like this, just show it to one person. That can make such a difference. Uh, but yeah, enough plugs now. Enjoy, folk. See you next time, guys. Play us out, Denny. See you next time, everyone. See you next time, everyone. Play us out, Denny. <laughs>